Welcome to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to live long, be strong, and die mighty. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 54 of the Coach Fury Podcast. Today's guest is Kelly Manzoni. And Kelly's somebody that we've known each other via social media but haven't met until this Saturday when I attended an Indian club slash gata slash mace workshop that she was hosting. And Kelly just gives off a great energy. And we had a really fun conversation talking about Indian clubs, mace training, a.k.a. the gata and the differences between the styles of that but also the difference in styles between GS, your voice, sport kettlebell training and hard style kettlebell training, keeping an open mind and finding fitness implements, being a fitness nerd, especially when it comes to like old school methods and fitness culture that we uh, both share a passion in revisiting and learning from our past. And it was just a really fun chat. Time flew by. Um, before we get to Kelly and I, let's talk about some things going on in the world of fury. Time's running out to get on Ramona's gotcha sale for a discount on classes and semi-private training here at Fury Industries in Brooklyn, New York. Check that out. It's all at CoachFury.com. Also, workshop-wise, thanks to everybody that came out for the Intro to Kettlebell Juggling Workshop on Sunday. And coming up this weekend, still time to sign up for this one, DVRT Ultimate Sandbag Training Level 1 and 2 at MSC Strength in Boston. And then I go away in October, end of October into November. I am very fortunate to be teaching an RKC, an original strength pressing reset workshop, and an Indian club workshop in Tokyo. Thank you, Travis and Calgary. And then my new friends, Doris and Vicky, we're coming out to original strength to teach two pressing resets in Taiwan and Taipei. So uh, I'm going to be overseas. And <laughs> the fact that I could just say that sentence and those little blurbs, I can't believe this is happening, folks. So uh, thank you to everybody uh, that allows me to teach for them and brings me out to teach with them. It's amazing. Never thought I'd be able to do that. So for stuff back in the States, things kick off with original strength pressing reset at MFF Bowery on Sunday, January 13th. And then we're going to have the RKC kettlebell certification. Remember, this is a two-day version of the course now. It's two days now. And that's going to be at Momentum Fitness on March 2nd and 3rd. And then the following weekend on Sunday, March 10th, we're going to have an HKC kettlebell certification at MFF Bowery. And the HKC kettlebell pricing and discounts are changing. And this is going to be under the new price plan. So I'm very excited about that. Check it out. People sleep on the HKC. It should get a lot more love than it does because everyone could swing, do a version of a get up and squat. Not everybody can snatch and press. So come check that out. There's more in the works. And this is going to be the first time people are hearing this on the podcast. Original Strength and I are teaming up to do an OS Indian Clubs course, an intro to Indian Clubs swinging, explaining the benefits, the basic holding patterns, and how to move forward. So uh, very excited to be doing this course. I'm going to be, over the next few months, writing the manual and shooting a video for it. So OS Indian Clubs coming at you. <laughs> hey, can you tell at MFF that I was the one with no musical theater background? Hey, enough about me. Hey, it's Fury and Kelly Manzoni. Well, hey, Kelly, first off, uh, it was awesome meeting you last weekend uh, at the workshop, and I'm very glad I got on the wait list. That was a, such a, a pleasant surprise. And so everybody listening, listeners, hey, everybody, it's just Fury and Kelly Manzone. So we, Kelly just hosted an awesome one-day Indian club uh, and got a workshop. Got is another word for mace. Can, can you actually... Kelly, before we get more into your story, what, what is the big 
difference between using the word gata and using the term mace? I know I understand steel mace versus a gata, but is there a dramatic difference between gata versus mace? As Paul explained to me, gata traditionally is like a handmade tool that began originally in India. So the gatas are typically made out of either bamboo or wood. And the mace kind of refers to the more popular steel mason varieties of, of that sort. So there's sort of a difference between uh, their traditional practice and heritage of where they came from. And there's also um, some rituals that go into making the gatas. Like my friend William does it where there's herbs and certain um, powders that are added into the traditional gatas. Interesting. I'm really glad you brought that up because I have no idea uh, about that stuff. Uh, Listeners, so I'm very new to Mace. If you follow this show, it was actually guest Ben Marvin who was on here. And when I stayed with him in Austin, he's got a collection of Maces. He turned me on to him a little bit. Didn't really know anything other than uh, 360s and 10 to 2s. And pretty quickly into the workshop, I realized I was doing a lot of it wrong, and, which is great. And it, that's kind of how Kelly and I connected because he was like, are you coming to this workshop? It's near you in Connecticut. And it was sold out. And I got on the wait list. So Kelly and I were chatting about that. But I had, uh, you know, I, I saw Paul's video on how you make a mace. And unfortunately, one of the downsides of Brooklyn is I don't really have a garage or a front yard to start dealing with cement and stuff. Um, so I had actually asked William about potentially making, in my head, I'm like, we should make a diamite mace, right? <laughs> make a coffin shape yeah. mace. And he mentioned, you know, he was like, uh, he was super, you know, uh, upfront about it and polite about it. But, but because of the rituals, that wasn't something he was interested in. Um, and I didn't understand what that was behind. Like, I don't think I realized the spiritual side of Gata training over just, you know, uh, a system approach to it could you go more into like is are the rituals themselves more in you know part of the indian heritage indian heritage by way of india not native american um part of the heritage of that uh through india yes now like william tends to do more of the traditional practice when he creates his goddess he does the ritual um and Sometimes Paul Waldowinski does the ritual, sometimes he doesn't. But the, the goddess themselves, like now I think I'm up to, I left the workshop with five extra. I've got so many. I, now I think my total is like 23 maces and, and goddess right now, steel and bamboo wow. and wood. Uh, yeah, and then William made me this awesome one out of a glass skull, which is pretty cool. That's like sort of like a novelty piece as a gift that he gave me. And it's just like, what I like to like about that is, you know, there's a history to it, which Paul Walensky went uh, goes into detail, and he actually went to India three times to study and to learn, and um, it, it's nice having kind of both sides, where you know you have your steel mace world, and then you have your your gata world, and there's a lot of um, stuff that carries over, and I love the history part. I'm just kind of a history buff. So I like learning more about it. And then having six days with Paul just to kind of discuss things was really interesting. So now I have even more of a deeper appreciation for the practice and the tool. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Paul, uh, folks, if you get a chance to learn from Paul, he definitely has an amazing YouTube channel. Uh, I'll I'll post a link in the show notes if you want to go and and check that out. Paul is a great teacher, but he does have that – great connection with what's happening currently and also the past and the history of it. And, 
you know, I don't have a mace background, but I have a pretty deep Indian club background. And yeah. that was one of the things that turned me on at Indian clubs in the beginning was learning the whole history of it. Like in the earlier certified Indian clubs specialist certs, yeah, that was the CICS certs that Dragon Door used to have. You know, there was a whole section where Brett Jones would talk about, you know, a bit of the history. And that was put together by both Brian Gill and some information from Dr. Ed Thomas. And it's funny, I just was on the phone with Dr. Ed Thomas yesterday and he immediately starts going into the history aspect as, as well. And it's, it's kind of fascinating. So uh, I found it fascinating. Absolutely. Well, what you really realize as opposed to just, you know, even the ritualistic nature of it and the heritage of it, it it's such a direct link to where mainstream fitness starts to go wrong. And I, yeah. Right. And where we're starting to revisit a lot of what we're all finding, uh, people that are nerdy about this stuff like you and I, especially these older methods, we're finding like, oh yeah, these were actually the things that worked really well and were very common, but they seem so esoteric now. And it's kind of amazing right. how only within a 30, 40 year window, something super common could become. So like, what is that? Like everybody like, think of like a pay phone, right? Nobody yeah. what, what that was. Uh, I, sorry, there was a little overlay, but I know exactly what you're talking about because Paul and I were um, driving back and forth doing The Goddess the other day, and he was kind of filling me in about how, like, when Indian clubs started to, started to kind of die off, and it was when, like, sort of the aesthetically driven uh, physique stuff started to happen. And what we were discussing in the car was sort of like, you know, I, I as I get older in the industry... I, I'm much more interested in sort of skill set modalities and like Indian clubs is such a mind like is, we, Paul and I were talking about like mental gymnastics and how like it's not it's going beyond just the physical aesthetic to, to, to the, the brain and, and that connection with the tool with the dexterity of your hands and the mace training goddess trainings like that and I think that's where you're right. I think we kind of went wrong in fitness and we got away from skill-based things that were working really well just to kind of chase the aesthetics and then mainstream fitness to have, it has now gotten so like watered down in a way. So I think there's a need for all this. Well, I think in the, you know, in the, in the earlier days, it was mainstream fitness and physical preparation wasn't about, you know, uh, wad scores or times. It wasn't about... Mm-hmm. It was really about being prepared to go to war. I mean, it really, even within the United States, folks, it's like that was kind of like you went, schools had more physical preparation because you were very likely to have to go to war, especially if you were, you know, obviously a a male at the time. And then bodybuilding took over, you know, it became a very specific thing. And then circuit training took over. And the whole idea with circuit training wasn't so much even to progress isolation training. It was to sort of get you to come in and get out. You go to station to station to station, you get out the door. It became more of a financial um, strategy thing, kind of like how supermarkets design how you go or, or department stores design where their stalls are, their aisles are to feed you through the place, right? They try to specifically guide you through um, as opposed to actually being healthy and mobile. And Indian club swinging in particular was something that was part of military training. It was in the Olympics. It's got a deep history within the United States and, and clearly – uh, beyond. And one of the things that I learned about were these old Turner houses, which were like, you know, basically gyms where you would go swing, climb, crawl around, you know, uh, do more gymnastics, calisthenics type stuff. Kettlebells were a part of it. Indian clubs were a part of it. 
yep. everything started becoming about, you know, weights um, and, and more traditionally what we have been dealing with. So uh, that's been kind of fascinating and it was really cool, uh, you know, not knowing much of the background of mace training or gato training to hear Paul talk about that stuff and uh, to see how passionate not just you were, but uh, Tom and William in particular. Uh, it was They're pretty awesome. Mo- yeah, it was pretty <laughs> motivating. Uh, Tom and William uh, put together 35, they handmade 35 Mikgadas for this course, which is no easy undertaking. And uh, they were awesome. They really allowed me to kind of pull this together because originally months back, you know, I had, I had been talking to Paul and I was like, I want to bring you here for a workshop. And then I was like, you know what? I'm like, this just makes sense to ask my friends to make traditional goddess. And it was just, the timing was perfect. I reached out to Tom who lives only a couple towns over, but he lit originally lived in, well, he's from the UK. He moved to Fairfield. And then I, ironically, I dropped my phone one day and it was open on Instagram and I accidentally clicked on his profile after he had liked my video. And I was like, Oh my God, there was somebody in my town swinging a gata. And I was like, Holy crap. And I immediately (laughs) reached out to him and I was like, I thought I was alone. (laughs) That's how we became friends. It was so bizarre, but we had both had William in common. So I asked William if he would do the other half and they immediately jumped on board to make this project like pull together. And I couldn't be happier with the, the result. Can you, can you say their last names? It's Tom Billinge and what's, what's William's last name? Cavallini. Cavallini. Uh, folks, check out the stuff they do. It's pretty amazing. War yoga. I'm forgetting uh, is William's company. What is Tom's company's name? Well, they're kind of like fusing together, William and Tom. Tom is actually, um, he's a writer by trade, and then he also is a Muay Thai instructor. Oh, awesome. Um, Yeah. And one of the nice things about these types of courses is it it does bring out a special type of fitness nerd. Um, And I don't know if we see that enough now, you know, like with the rise of odd objects, like I think you and I got into kettlebells probably roughly around the same time. Oh, I love my bells. But, you know, as, as kettlebells became popular, they were, you know, that's how I found sandbags. That's how I initially found yep. clubs. We were just trying to find, all, you know, these, these older or more alternative ways of training. Um, and, and, you know, now a lot of that stuff is pretty mainstream. Like you can go anywhere, almost any hotel, and find some crappy version of a kettlebell. <laughs> something yeah, you walk in and you're like oh man it's got the plastic around it it's yeah. got that handle yeah it's like it's like the kickball with the plastic handle attached to it so <laughs> going to this workshop it was like where everybody was very interested in learning uh from somebody that's not you know uh, a well-known name in the states as of yet though he's got a massive following in terms of what he teaches but that was cool and I, i've missed being sort of in that environment, you know, it's great when everybody's just like, you know, into kettlebells or into sandbags or something, but it brought out like a special type of, uh, and I mean this affectionately, uh, yeah. fitness nerd slash old cool, old school enthusiast. And I, I love that. Well, we actually had for the, like Paul was surprised by the amount of women that we had because he's never had that many women at a course. So he was actually, he had a plan for a full tour in the United States before his cancer diagnosis. So he had already had like a bunch of workshops set up in, uh, around the state. Then he got his diagnosis and he had to back out of the workshops. 
and he took 18 months going through treatment. So this was his first time back in the States. And I sold 22 tickets within four hours. Then yeah. like we went to the 25, then we went to 30, and then I had to add on. And it was just like the, the community that came was a lot of, I had some of my kettlebell sports uh, girlfriends come and Dale also. So they were from like Texas, from Michigan, from South Carolina. And some of the people that attended, you know, like my friend Sarah from Ohio has, you know, is brand new. She's, she's an ultra runner who runs 104 miles, you know, like in one clip. (laughs) Yeah. So it, it, it brought out a lot of different types of people and it brought people together, which was so spectacular. And it was, it's also, I have to say something that I'm, I always appreciate and I didn't realize this when, when I made the transition to teaching more workshops, you know, it became hard for me to actually go and take something just because if I'm away a bunch of weekends, the rest of the weekends yeah. I want to have my, my friends and family. So just the fact that it lined up, that it was like an easy drive. Uh, and it was something that I was like, I haven't like, uh, gone down a new implement rabbit hole at all and and maze training mm-hmm. it's one of the things when ben was showing me because i have the it is a perfect like uh, adjunct partner reese's pieces peanut butter and chocolate combination with indian club swing <laughs> so it made total sense so it was super fun to learn because i've been just dorking around you know uh ben was helping me out a little bit but i basically was just working on a couple of things trying to get better at it one of the cool things about maze training for those of you that haven't tried it i know a couple of my friends off the ben marvin podcast have tried and been like, holy shit, it's pretty rad. Uh, it was humbling. And I don't get humbled that often. Not that I'm crazy strong by any means, but I ordered a 20 pound steel mace thinking like, oh, you know, I got a pretty strong press and I swing and I have Indian clubs. And then I almost ripped my arms out <laughs> trying to do my first 360. And I loved that. So it was great to not only uh, get to learn about a new implement or new system, but also to just go in fully beginner mode on that part of it. Um, and as an Indian club guy, it was great to just hear somebody else's perspective on it because I've basically learned from and have assisted with the same base system. So it was really nice to have another perspective thrown in there and see different teaching cues for some of the stuff. Uh, that was super cool. I love it. And, you know, since you and I both really love kettlebells, it, it, there's, you know, how the kettlebell becomes an extension of your body. You're, the mace becomes an extension of your body where you get really relaxed in that backswing and there's like this float. So yeah. it's, sort of, it's, 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 sim, it's different, but it's similar. And then the, you know, the communication with the bell within your palm is sort of the same communication that kind of happens with your club training and your mace training. Yeah, it's actually, it's interesting with Indian clubs and with the mace, I actually feel like almost a heightened connection to that over the kettlebell because I couldn't even say why, but there is that moment that you can just veg out um, and find the flow with it all differently than a kettlebell. If you can get in that groove with like get-ups and snatches and whatnot, but uh, it might be just maybe because I come from, you know, coming from a hard style background, there's, there's right. like that baked in idea of aggression and you know, brute force. Uh, whereas with the mace and Indian clubs, I'm thinking more about how pretty can I make this? Does that make sense at all? It does. You know, I come from a hard style background too, and I've only been doing kettlebell sport for the past two years, but like I, it, it's definitely different, but I guess you would, you know, when you're doing your clean and when you're doing your snatch and stuff, like there's just that communication with the bell, it would to, you know, make it kind of soft. Even when you're doing hard style, there's yeah. a, you know, there's a softness to the clean 
there's a softness to, you know, where you're not smacking the, the back of your, your form, you know, and, and with the mace training, at first when people learn, they're, they're really like over gripping their mates and there's too much grip and there's too much form and their biceps are like burning, you know, that was and then totally you get the- me. Paul and I talked about that. That was the big thing that I was doing wrong coming into that. I did not have the right rack position. I was hard styling my rack position. Yeah. So it's sort of similar to that. Like when I transitioned into sport, like everybody was like, like when I would be in a group of all sport people, they're like, Kelly, stop fucking breathing hard stuff. You know, like, <laughs> like, like relax. So like, it was really, and it's still hard for me going into my eighth competition to learn GS style. I can't, un, it, it's so hard for me to unprogram, but I'm starting to finally find my groove. But it, once I started learning with the, the mace, and I got to relax my grip. I remember at first, you know, like seven or 10 pounds felt really bizarre. And now I could swing up to, you know, I swung uh, Tom's 38 pound Gata, the, the odd like octagon one for a few swings. And I was like, oh my God, like I, if I did not have the base that I've worked for over the past few years with mace training, and I would never have been able to have done that. So there's this awesome evolution that starts to happen. The same with, you know, your bell training when you start to evolve and with your bell work. It's very exciting. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. I'm, I'm very appreciative of, of Ben for, for introducing me to it. I wasn't expecting to go down the rabbit hole. And, of course, I had three steel maces within seven days, I think. <laughs> you know, like, where can I get the best deals on these? And then, of course, you know, I saw all the maces that were left over at, at the end of the course, and I was talking with you about getting one for Kim, and I'm like, who am I kidding? I'm going to get the heavier one <laughs> so I can win it. I have my step up. Well, you, you, you do. You grow into it. When, yeah. when in the difference with the steel versus the gata, with the gata, all of the weight is at the end. You know, like yeah. with, with the steel, there's the, the weight is, there's a little bit of weight in the, in the handle on the shaft. So like when William sent me the 23 pound Gata that I have, I was like, Oh Lord of mercy. <laughs> but yeah, then he was right. He's like, Kelly, you're going to grow into it. And I did. And, and the thinner grip too. It's, it's a very interesting change. Cause I grabbed a, a 15 pounder for the course and yep. you know, but it, but it swings heavier, you know? So, uh, you know, I generally use a, a 20 pound steel mace here. And I think it gave me good preparation, but I wasn't used to it. And then with the 23 pound I have, it's like, it's got that very thin bamboo handle and that's very different. Um, but I, I look totally. forward to it. I, I need to go and dial in my, I, I'm very, uh, I'm super humble and take my ego out of this. Like I got to go back to my 15 pound steel one and really work on that, getting that front rack dialed in. Your, your, uh, Gata will actually improve your steel work too. They complement one another because that, the, the, the bamboo has that natural flex. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's like, it's very much alive in your hands while the steel is a little bit more rigid and cold. And then my steel work in, like improved drastically when I started swinging bamboo. That's awesome. Hey, uh, here's a question. With- mm-hmm. I definitely want to talk more about sport in a bit, but with yeah. the, the, the amount of time you've invested in your mace training, what kind of carryover have you felt in your other training? Well, you know, I have to admit, and I'm going to go to sport, even though for a moment, I, my body does not like staying in the sagittal plane. You know, I think it's just the years of uh, gymnastics and uh, dance and, 
years of exploring kettlebell training in, in the hard style slash carryover of the realm with uh, Anthony Delugio and sandbags and all that kind of stuff. But I'm also a bar instructor and I, I taught yoga. I just like to do a lot of different modalities because I think they all complement one another. But mm-hmm. with sport, all that high volume overhead training, my body is just like, I got to get into the train. I got to move. You know, I got to get out of that sagittal plane. But uh, what I have found was the improvement of sort of like my coordination between my right and my left, especially when you start adding in the single arm work with, you know, hand-to-hand switch or single arm 360s, single arm 10 and 2, all that kind of stuff. And it carried over into my bell work in the sense of my left arm became a lot more stable. And I felt like I've always been into grip strength forever. And a lot of my old uh, vintage equipment is from Anthony Delugio from Art of Strength. And it, he was really into grip. So I think that's one of the things that women need to explore more in their fitness is, you know, the importance of grip strength. And that's what we noticed as a carryover in the workshop this past weekend, having 12 women is, you know, gripping that gata is, is a challenge. But once you start working on that grip strength, it carries over into your other modalities, whether you're doing a sandbag, you know, uh, whether you're doing various farmer's carries or what have you, or if you're doing original strength stuff and you're starting to do more crawling and rocking, like it all kind of carries and and complements one another um, uh, beautifully, in my opinion. And so I just feel like I've got more... Um, I like the mental aspect of it a lot. I think it's very zen. And it, when it carries over into the other training, I just, I don't know. I completely zen out when I train. So I, I think it's sort of a mix. I agree. It, it's interesting how the, the mental gymnastics kept coming up. And I think that's one of the things that I'm really into about the maze. And I was talking with um, Dr. Thomas and actually with Brett Jones the other day. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, so I've been using Indian clubs for almost eight years. Uh, nice. And, but you know, the thing is, it's like, I would say there was times when I was exploring it and there's times when I'm just pre- like, I'm just doing it. And I feel like in the right. last couple of years, I've been focused more on doing it, right? Like I know these are the moves that I know. And these are the things that I, I program in for myself. And these are the things that make me feel good when I'm pressing and you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's been in the last, you know, two months that I've been exploring it more, you know, like going back to practicing as opposed to just doing it. And that's been very cool. The big switch I think for me is, is as I'm getting older, uh, I'm going to be 46 next month. I know that's not super old folks, but like, Oh, you're an October baby like me. Yeah. When's your birthday? October 5th. Oh, the 21st. Look at us. Yeah. (laughs) Go Libras. Happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> right. So one of the things that I've been focusing on, this also happened after the whole, uh, when, when I had my thyroid thing and I experienced tremors and a, a loss of strength about a year and a half ago, you know, I realized the neural, there was a chance that that wasn't my thyroid. There was a chance that that was a neurological thing. Mm-hmm. And I got way more interested in, you know, tra- sort of training my brain to recover and adapt than it was about how heavy can I do something. And of course, like, yeah. you know, I have gotten a, a large amount of my strength back compared, you know, to match with how I'm currently training. But the things like getting back into Indian clubs, and, and this is the year that a lot of people notice I've gotten more into kettlebell juggling again. Um, 
the hand I love juggling capacity of it. Yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, I took a course a few years ago at Gus Peterson and you know, every time I can find a patch of dirt, which it has been, there's been long breaks in terms of my practice. Yeah. I find a place that's like easy for me to walk a bell from home to go and flip. So like, there's literally this little field by my house called, we call it Marty field where we used to walk our dog. That's no longer with us. And it's got like a couple of patches of dirt near a tree and uh, you know, where the dogs go to pee, but I flip kettlebells there and then I make sure I don't touch my mouth or my eyes. And I, I do everything. <laughs> And I wear my glasses, but it's uh, the hand-eye coordination aspect of it has been huge. And I'm seeing carryovers. I was doing, I started getting more into that before I started going back into Indian clubs. And I'm already seeing that I'm doing, able to do more with the Indian clubs. And I know that's just the coordination aspect of, you know, I, I tend to call it uh, Indian clubs mental Sudoku. Uh, it, yeah, no, it is. It's a puzzle. And things like, you know, uh, Filipino flips where you're doing a front flip in one hand and a, a back flip in the other hand and timing that. So all of that stuff and the aspects of the Gata training and the steel maze training and the any clubs, I, I, I'm just really, and, and it's baked into original strength and the whole vestibular system, contralateral movements, midline crossing and breathing better. Like they all, how you said, like they're different implements or different systems, but that they all, all the dots can connect together so well. So I, that was a big takeaway for me in terms of learning a couple of new things. Well, I should say a couple of new things, more than a couple of things from Paul on the Indian club front, but also on the, uh, the Gata, the Gata front of it all. Yeah. You know, like when you were listening, when I was listening to you talking about, uh, your thyroid, I'm sorry to hear that. And I, I know, uh, for myself, when I was really ill with colitis for a few years, when I started getting my strength back was sort of me going and exploring more like so i had been introduced to clubs in 2008 but i never really learned the indian clubs kind of like properly it was more you know like hey you use this to warm up before you pick up your bells so my knowledge was really kind of basic going into this but after i had the colitis i kind of wanted to i was regaining my strength back and training here in my little spot in my, in my home. And then that's when I took out my short maces that I had from Anthony Delugio and I started playing with those and I had seen like the steel mace popping up everywhere. And I was like, you know what? I'm like, I love, this is a way for me to kind of reconnect to my body again. And that's how I first kind of picked up my, my mace three years ago was to, to kind of find that, connection with my body once again and, and that connection is very mental and that's what the, these style tools do for you just like you described and with the juggling too next time you come down you should hang out with yuri you might do you meet yuri when you were here i, I did russian guy oh my god so yeah he's he's amazing and and you know he's from latvia and um you know his his wife uh, his father was with the russian government with kettlebells and everything. So like all the juggling, they're amazing. You should, you should see him juggle. It's insane. Oh wow! It's really cool. Yeah. It's really cool to watch. And I've been able to through kettlebell sport to meet other people that juggle. And ironically, my friend was just on a podcast where the person who was running the podcast was saying, you know, uh, about juggling, you know, that these people were kind of showing off and whatnot. And I was like, you know, and I, I had said to my friend, no, I'm like, there's actually like, you know, that's a sport in Russia. <laughs> like it, it, there's a long history with juggling. So it's not just a, a show off thing. It's actually, you know, Anthony 
Delugio when we were learning how to do a little bit of juggling too. It's, it's that hand and eye coordination. It's the communication with the bell. It goes much deeper than just what you kind of visually see. It's yeah. more than a trick. It's really not a trick. There's a showmanship to it if you're putting yourself up in, you know, in that type of a thing, just like there would be in any type of a strong man or physical act. But the hand-eye coordination is huge. The, uh, mm-hmm. the, work, the work capacity and the mental state of going into flow, you know, like we mentioned earlier, I, I just find yeah. it, I, I'll go out there and try to land tricks. And that's basically how I view it, just like being on a skateboard. I'm trying to land tricks. Then I'm trying to get better at my tricks. I'm trying to dial in the technique of it all, which is what we talk about with swings and stuff. You know, the weird thing with juggling is, especially in, in you know, Brooklyn or New York City, it, it's hard to do it. You can't, you, you need a place where you can drop the bell safely. And exactly. that's the limiting factor. You know, like you can't do it in your apartment. And I know some people do it in their gyms. They probably shouldn't be because you need to be able to safely let it go. And but right. people look at it like a, like some sort of scary trick. But if you learn how to like, you know, the process of setting it up and some of the basics, you'd have to work hard to actually hurt yourself juggling, you know, again, but you have to step it up. You have to kind of own the maneuver and then try to progress it. And when you get it, but people want to either jump in too quickly or they just look at it and are totally turned off by it. But I think it's been, it's an amazing part of what, what I do um, because I'll spend an hour outside, you know, only with like a 12 to 14 K bell, but I couldn't, I couldn't count how many quote unquote swings I've done at the end of it. And I know I'm not taking any set rest breaks. I'm just trying, shake it off, get my head in the game. It's been good too. I've been using it to listen to nineties hip hop that I haven't listened to in a long time. <laughs> I, uh, love I, only, it. I, only, I only juggle the hip hop because I, I find the rhythm in it and I'm like, Oh, you know, I'm going to go and, and, and deep dive some stuff I haven't heard in a while or some albums I missed. So that's been cool. So you just touched on something like before I, I go further, um, I'm going to send you this IG page of Mount. I think it's like mountain flutes. He is an incredible juggler. So when we're done with the podcast, I'm going to send it to you because he does the most insane juggling. It, it is awesome to watch. Oh, that's but awesome. With, with, yeah. You'll, you'll really like him. He's really cool. But with the music, that's how I started teaching um, some fellow trainers when I started doing like these mini workshops because people were contacting me to learn mace training, I found in with my clients too, you know, they would overthink and overgrip their mace. And then all of a sudden they'd be like stiffening up instead of sort of being relaxed. So I would turn on like Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin and I'd be like, now don't think so much. Don't overanalyze, just kind of catch a beat and just move and, and find your breathing. Like get like into your body, take your shoes off, feel the ground with your feet, with your mace work, feel your hands and start to like zen out. And that's when it would kind of like click. And the power of music is really cool with any type of training when you kind of add that in during the learning process. And Paul has been kind enough to set the meals until I bring Kashi Asad for Persian yoga over in April for the first ever uh, American cert. So I'm playing around with meals and he helped me with the timing and it's very musical. So I've been listening to like PM Dawn. Probably the first and only PM Dawn shout out you will ever hear oh on the podcast. I know, really I, know. I know, it's so bad. Like that song, I died without that song. But there, there's like this popping in the car when I was channel surfing one day in my car and I was like, 
holy shit, when I get home, I'm playing that song and I'm picking up my meals. And I've been doing it. I've been to that for like a half hour. My neighbors must be like, oh my God, turn that song off. But I'm, it's I'm how you learn. I'm music video for that song on the, on the info page <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> make a note. I hope I remember to do that. Well, it's funny. Oh Kath- my, Sorry, go ahead. Well, Kelly, cut you off. Um, no, I was going to say I've used like Hall and Oates for mace training before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know Kathy Dooley, the, the power of music. Uh, I mean, I used to just listen to aggressive stuff to get fired up to try to lift heavy. And then I, I, I started trying to actually lift more from a place of being happy than, than being overly aggressive. Uh, totally. Mentally aggressive over physically aggressive. There is a difference. Uh, but I remember... Mm-hmm. Uh, my buddy, uh, Ari Harris, when he was helping Kathy Dooley to pass her snatch test, he, he was like, find your song. And Kathy's song was It Takes Two from Rob Bass. <laughs> <laughs> but she showed me it and it was perfect. It makes total sense. So whenever That's I do snatches, I generally will have some sort of hip hop on, whether it's Aesop Rock or Eminem or something. Love um, it. Because it makes sense when you go in a rhythm, right? So the, the thing that people yes. struggle with, with Indian clubs or whether it's a maze, things where you have to be, or juggling, when it has to be rhythmic, where it can't just be a static position from point A to point B, right? Like a deadlift, static position from point A to point B. You pick it up, you put it down, you try to sharpen your form, it's less thing. But when you're actually perpetually flowing, that's when like, you you know, like, yeah, you could find like heavy songs to swing to. Like, I'm not gonna say that you can't, Uh, but I think that's important for people and it's a good training aspect and I noticed Paul kept playing, you know, some drum beats in the background of the course. And it reminded me of when I was in Muay Thai, you know, we would have Thai music playing in the background. It it delineated the time of the round, but it also created this energy and this flow for the cadence of what was going on. And I think that's a missed thing. You know, we get caught up in like, don't train with headphones. That's not real training. You shouldn't be focused. You don't need mirrors. You don't need this. But like, actually, like, you know, music's like pretty awesome. And uh, yeah. I think there's a difference between li- listening to a song that's creating the right mental headspace um, or physical workflow versus like texting or being on social media. But we, we love to draw these lines about how people are lesser than because they do something else uh, to try to make ourselves feel better. But I, I think music's like a huge motivator. I absolutely agree with you. And I remember there was a while back, I was reading an article about kettlebells and it was intriguing because the person was saying, you know, like never have, you know, music on when you're doing like your hard style swings. It was, or like how the music will affect kind of, you know, your swing. But I mean, honestly, like we don't have to be so militant all the time with our, our movement, you know, like, and not everything we do has to be perfect with, you know, I, I did a podcast recently where I was talking about like explore the gray areas. I think there's a lot of beauty in the gray areas and with fitness. And I don't know if it's just because the more I get out there and the more circles, it kind of, you know, the networking grows and stuff. And you'll agree. I think you'll probably agree with me. Like, you know, you, you hear over here, these conversations where, or people chime in, you know, on something on Facebook and they're like, you know, kind of knocking somebody there. there is, there's not always, everything is not always black and white. There's a lot of gray area and there's a lot of beauty in those gray areas. So if like, I like my rage against the machine and if like my hard style technique in my home and I'm not like, you know, banging out a certain amount of reps, it doesn't really matter to me. It depends on what the purpose is behind it. Yeah. It, it, it's, 
my whole thing comes, and I've mentioned this on the show in the past, is how militant, how strict do we need to be in our own training as trainers, right? That's one thing. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm taking competition out of the, the thing, right? Like right. Yeah. there's different levels for competitive athletes or, or, or whatever, like take that out. But for ourselves, so I'm a guy that likes to lift and likes to share lifting stuff, right? Like I like to help people get strong mm-hmm. and I like to yep. get strong. Those are my main, main, main things. Everything else outside of that is, is somewhat secondary. So if, if, if playing a fun pot, uh, fun playlist, get somebody to enjoy coming to class more. So they come more. Is, is that a fault of them or their mindset that they need that? No, it does it screw up their no. swings. Now I'm like, folks, I was at the SFG two assisting and you know what Pavel put on when they did their started doing swings made it <laughs> like we were listening to made it and the whole group swinging. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it, it, it's, but it's so, it, it's sometimes it's like, yeah, if you want to have that mindset of being so strict, like no music or whatever, like that's totally cool. But when you start laying it down as like a baseline, like someone, someone made, you know, it's like people like to make comments of like, you know, if your coach ever sits down, he's a shitty coach or they're a shitty coach. And I'm like, you know what? Like maybe that's not actually the case, you know, not that like any coach should just be sitting down relaxing, but like if the person has been on their feet all day and they need to sit down on the bench while somebody's doing a get up on the floor and they're mindful of watching, why are we so judgmental on each other on that stuff? It's basically the thing we should be looking at is the output and performance of the person they're training. But we like to one up each other as if we're in competition with each other. And I'm not in competition with you. You're not in competition with me. We're both doing the same thing in different States. And if you were even in New York, you'd have your crew and I'd have my crew. And how can we help them better together? You know, it's just, uh, it's, it's part of that weird part of our business sometimes that I, I wish we could just like shake off and support each other more. And, and, and it's one of those positions. This is a rant. I haven't had a fury rant in a while. No rant. It's away. one of those things that, you know, as, as someone in the RKC, um, but that also teaches for other groups, right? I, you know, I have all the initials yeah. I could throw up. I teach for all of them. I don't mean throw up like, ugh, I mean, throw up into the air. Um, yeah. But like you said, I teach for all these groups and people are like, how do you teach for all these groups? And like, you don't draw lines. I'm like, because when I train people, they all make sense together. I don't just say like, this exactly. is my workout. This is just my OS workout. This is just the uh, RKC portion of this training program. Like, this is how I train people. But we like to define ourselves because it puts us up on somebody else by like holding the flag of a logo or initials. Now, I'm not saying don't be proud of accomplishments. Like if you pass an RKC or an SFG, or the DVRT clean and press test, or if you crawl a mile, yep. like those are amazing. You should really be proud of that. But that doesn't guarantee you to be a better coach than somebody that hasn't. You just might have a different level of experience on that specific thing, or maybe not at all. You know, one of the interesting things with kettlebells now is there's a lot of great kettlebell instructors that have never gone through a cert because they're surrounded by great kettlebell instructors. You know, this isn't so new, you know, where, when, 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 what time, when did you, did you go through the RKC or the SFG first, Kelly? I didn't do either of those. I, Anthony Delugio was my mentor and I originally uh, trained with him in 2008 Perfect. and uh, of art of strength. And then I started writing for his website and then I did additional four workshops with him and I used to write articles for him and product descriptions for his website. So I was really lucky to have him as a mentor and as a friend. And 
Then I did, uh, I have the kettlebell uh, from Onnit, which I did like a year and a half ago. And the reason I went, or two years ago, I went is because like Marcus and I had kind of been talking back and forth. And he's like, oh, I had Anthony Bellugio's DVDs back in the day. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you know, Anthony's a really straight up guy. And they were going to, they were in Connecticut at uh, Ranfone's, Mike Ranfone's place, which isn't far from here. And I was like, no. Amanda, I think, went to that. Amanda Wheeler, I think, went to that. Uh, yes, actually. Awesome. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, it was like, I think it was in October, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. And so I went to that and then um, through GS Planet and AKA, which I'm a part of with Yuri, then, you know, with Kettlebell Sports, that stuff. So, it but I my, agree with you. It proves my point, though, exactly, right? You didn't go through those certs. I would have no problem trusting you to train somebody because, you know, like, it, so those things bother me. So when we start, um, over cherishing our initials, letting it build up our own ego, um, and then creating wider rules that must be right because they're sort of the house rules of this. Uh, and I don't mean like, yes, the getup should be performed this way marginally, and there's differences for every person because every, nobody's the same. Mm-hmm. You know, we all basically are throwing big rocks and then making micro adjustments. But it just it, it bothers me so much. And I really, really wish, and it's one of the things that I, I do love about you know the newer version of the RKC is is I don't feel any pressure. I, I never have. I've had talks about my language on occasion once, um, but I've never had somebody be like, "You have to change who you are, or you have to be stricter." This isn't the RKC way. When you have fun or play a silly song, like I've I've literally yeah. played High School the Musical at a at a couple of RKCs. Um, yeah. just to, just to take the pressure off of the environment. Uh, I don't want people to learn with me. My style of teaching is not high stress. There's enough stress going into a course and having a strength test and meeting new people and being in the room and, and listening to me talk. I, I don't need to create more stress and fear. It's already there. I, I want to create a positive learning environment and that's my goal. So anyway, I'm not even sure where that rant started, but I know where it ends and it's ending now. Yeah. You made it. No, no, but I love it because you made a valid point because I think right now with media and what's happening with, you know, the, the rise obviously of Instagram and stuff like that is now between Facebook and Instagram and everybody could be sort of like a critic behind the keyboard and without knowing uh, the full story. And so even like last week I was doing an advertisement for my uh, upcoming webinar and it's that photo I put up on Facebook, and it's me swinging the 23-pound gata that William Cavallini had made me. Now, prior, during that photo shoot that morning, I had done all my kettlebell sport training, taught two classes, trained my clients. Then I'm doing a photo shoot for an hour, and I put it up in this guy. And I'm like, I'm proud of the webinar. You know, like, I'm like, I put hard work into this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it out there. And this gentleman comments on the gap. I have a small, like, I don't know, inch gap in my grip on my gata in the photo. And he's like, starts ripping me an asshole. And I'm like, oh my God. And like telling me that, you know, that's not, you know, your hands are supposed to be together. And I'm like, dude, seriously, that's 23 pounds. I was swinging that fucker for an hour in the heat outside. My hands were sweating. Like, are you kidding me? And it kept going back and forth. And I was like, okay, like I cannot feed into this person. But what annoyed me was he was going back about, well, I started teaching this in, you know, the eight, whatever year it was. And, you know, kind of like insulting my age, my gender, and my experience without knowing anything about me based on that photo. 
in order of like what he knows about the little bit about me on Facebook. And that's like a problem <laughs> with what's happening is people all of a sudden, you know, like I said to him, I'm like, I, I can't, and I, I raced both the, I raced it all, but it's like, I can't help the goddamn year I was born. You just, you can't shit on the generation coming after you. You just can't, yeah. you know, and I can't help that I'm a female. I'm proud I'm being a woman, uh, you know, and I'm proud that I could control a 23 pound goddess, but it was a goddamn picture. So like, you know, based on a photo, he's questioning my capability. And I wouldn't be, co- you know, co-teaching with Wolowinski and having these upcoming projects that we're working on if I was incapable, you know? Yeah, so it's and, like, it's frustrating. It's the, 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 the honest fact, too, is how long someone's been a trainer does not guarantee that they're a good trainer <laughs> at all. <laughs> you know, like, someone, well, yeah. someone's claiming like, oh, I started training 20 years ago. It doesn't mean you're good. You know, like it doesn't, it's not a guarantee. It means you've been in the game a while and that's commendable, but it doesn't mean you're good. I had somebody take classes with me and fought me on the warm up process. And the person was very banged up, you know, and mm-hmm. when, when I do, when I program warm ups, I, I tend to prepare, use them to prepare for future things. So there was one specific move that puts you in the half kneeling windmill position of a kettlebell getup. So down the line, when you can get ups, people are already in it, right? They've already been very right. comfortable. She, person wouldn't go into the position. So I'm like, Hey, uh, just shift your hand here, knee here. And she's like, yeah, I'm not going to do it. And I was like, Hey, look, I don't, I don't want to be douchey about this, but like, it, it's not the way we're doing it. I would like you to do it. And then I got in this whole, I basically got blasted for about 15 minutes at the end of class. We're like, you don't know my body. I'm this much. I've been training this. I do this, 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 this. And, and in the back of my head, I'm like, A, I'm sorry if I offended you. B, you come into class. I mean, she come- I'm saying I, I let the gender out. She, she came into <laughs> class late and missed most of the warmups all the time. And yep. I'm going to say this. If, if, if I were using kettlebells for 15 years and I was perpetually injured and not getting better, I might rethink my modalities. So if you're going to tell totally. me that you're this banged up and you've been preparing things for however 15, 20 years, and they're not helping you, you must have either been like completely, completely shattered throughout, or your modalities, your belief systems, you need to really rethink it those. Because there are things that will make you stronger. And I believe that. Like, if your system's not providing hope and it's just providing get-bys, you need to find a new training philosophy and system. Um, I agree with you 100%. So, so, you know, when, when somebody's like suddenly like, well, I've been training, you know, this long and you should be gripping this thing in a still image, <laughs> you know, like, like shut after up. an hour of sweet. And it's like, and it's so funny because when people have like reached out and they're like, so Kel, are you, are you nervous about your grip here? You know, like they were like, it was so trivial. It was like, a, you know, it became like a joke. But, you know, sadly, it's like even my friend today, I put up that post on Facebook. I don't know if you saw it, but a friend of mine has been really, like, harassed this week. I don't know. I think people just need, it, it, you know, the, the people need to chill, chill out. They need to start, you know, there's so much divisiveness in this world right now, and it's spilling over into how just, like, our industry. So I love it, and I, I love meeting people like yourself where you could have an intelligent conversation. You know, like people are just like, you have, oh, they need to chill out yeah. and just remember what the, what the, what, why are we doing this? It, it shouldn't be about, like you said before, about all the, you know, the, the letters at the end of your name. 
be a good person, learn the modality and be nice to other people. Yeah. And, and you know, so I sometimes when I'll see something, uh, you know, on social media and, you know, the person's claiming a move and there could be something pretty big off on it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'll private message the person and I'll just say like, Hey, you know, if it's in my wheelhouse, obviously I don't just go, sure. but, but like, you know, uh, bent press is a popular move that seems to go in waves of the bent press where like you won't see posts about a bent press for like a year. And then all of a sudden there's like a bent press month kicks in and for like uh, 30 to 60 days, there's a bunch of bent press. And I somebody, love bent press. Somebody, somebody was doing a bent press and, and it was, you know, they were pressing it out. They were rounding their back. They weren't, you know, wedging underneath it. So instead of like commenting directly on the page, I simply, you know, sent a private message and I said, Hey, uh, you totally don't need to, you know, listen to me at all on this. But if you'd be interested in some help, I would suggest trying this, this, and this, you know, keep working. But that's the classy way to do it. That's a respectful way so to do it. Social media. We've lost that right where completely people will just be like, I know, I'm, I'm going to prove that I'm the expert here. Everybody wants to like prove that they're the expert here. You know, like I'm the expert here as opposed to like, I actually know this thing, you know, you don't hear car mechanics. Well, maybe they do. I'm not a car mechanic, but you know, (laughs) where it's like, no, that's the wrong wrench. That's the wrong wrench. You're holding the wrench wrong, (laughs) you know, or the best is when somebody comments on the client's thing, when like, you know, like client swing might not be right. And you're like, well, they're the client. They're not supposed to be perfect or they could be a trainer and you don't know where they started and you don't know where they're going. So like, Maybe exactly. Just swinging a kettlebell as opposed to like ripping them apart on their form or, you know, being judgmental on the coach. Like, why are they coaching that? Well, maybe it's the best they can do. You know, and one of the liberal- and you don't know background, you don't yeah. know, you know, like that's the problem is like with a photo or a 30 second to one minute clip, it is not giving you the full view, you know, and then you just like, you have this person who's staring through the screen, seeing that square box. And, and it's, the problem is that person is making assumptions when they shouldn't be, totally. you know, like we often assume way too much. And I, you know, like Paul was really sweet while, while Linsky, cause he, you know, he, he knew that I don't have uh, any meal experience. And when my meals arrived, you know, I, purely just tried them off of, you know, uh, Kashi's YouTube videos and Paul's. And he's like, Kelly, he's like, you really put yourself out there because you, you honestly don't know, you know, you haven't been taught this tool and you, you just kind of put your first day out there. And he was saying that, like, that's it, you know, that we need more of that because yeah. as, you know, we have to express that we're going through the learning process too. So if you're a professional and you're learning a new modality, there's nothing wrong with sharing your learning process, because, I, I, you know, and you have to embrace it completely. Uh, you know, everyone likes to talk about how they're perpetually learning until somebody tells them that, <laughs> you know, until it's time to show them that they know everything. Uh, it's funny. You mentioned that about the picture. It, it's so true on social media. So I remember, uh, I think it was two years ago. Uh, my daughter, maybe it was last or beginning of last year. Like my, both my kids were riding bikes and I took a photo of uh, all of us on the bikes and, you know, my kids had their helmets on and I did not have my helmet on in the picture, but the helmet was there. I took it off when I grabbed my phone out. And of course, like I send this picture in and everybody's like, where's your helmet? And I'm like, uh, it's a static, <laughs> it's a static picture. It's just offside frame. Cause you realize the whole world isn't within this, <laughs> in this. Um, 
And, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing to me too, because it's like, you know, I, I, I will openly admit I do consciously put on my helmet because I come from a, you know, a skateboarding back BMX background where you didn't wear helmets. Yeah. It just wasn't a thing when I was a kid or even a young adult or even like a pretty old adult, but I wear one now that I have kids, but it's like, you know, right. I was getting, you know, judgment, like, you know, Hey, where's your helmet? You should wear a helmet. Ba 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 ba. And I'm like, yes, I wear the helmet. It's not in the frame. You know what I have? A home. It's not in the picture either. I eat food that's not in this picture either because you're only seeing a square. <laughs> it's, it's like so flat true. earth society. It's like, you know, like we, we only are going to believe in what we see as opposed to like, oh, there's so much more out there. And I think, you know, it's, it's funny. I, the, the more that I kind of get out there and I'm teaching more workshops or, you know, organizing these events, the beauty in it all is you sort of att- attract the energy that you create, yep. you know? So it's like, you're always going to deal and have those people that kind of do that and, and rank on you or whatever. But then, you know, you go to an event and, and you have a spectacular time meeting people and collaboration and networking and you're in a nurturing environment. And that totally X's out all the extra bullshit. <laughs> it just like negates it. It's just like, it's just like high school. You find your crew, your crew, you get to meet cool people. Maybe it's more like college. You find your crew, your crew expands. And you know, it, it, you also, I think certain implements tend to attract, like we were saying earlier, like a similar mindsets. Like you have to be somewhere in a similar mindset to be like, I'm going to go get really into Indian clubs. And yeah, totally. Things, you know, like we took this course and, you know, um, James Neidlinger, who was on this podcast is, is a whiz and he's the lead instructor for the, uh, flexible steel Indian club certification. And, you know, we were talking, I was saying how like, yeah, I'm going to be doing like an intro to Indian club workshop in Japan in November. And he was like, so awesome. and there's no, you know, there's no competition between us. Cause we just know like the, the big goal with anybody with Indian clubs is just to get more people turning clubs, right. Creating awareness. And then they can decide if they're going to go learn from, from me, if they want to expand with James, they want to go with Paul, however that ends up being. Uh, I would say James and Paul are better at it than me. I'm just going to be completely upfront on it. But in terms of teaching the basics, like I, I, you know, I've got an experience in that and I just want to share it. And amongst us, like, there's no, that's my thing. Like I actually asked Dr. Thomas about, you know, teaching and he's sort of the source for most of us in the United States. And he was just like, yeah, I didn't get up. I share it you know, take it. Like I told you, he's like, he's, he's like, cause I've assisted him once. And he's like, like I told you, take it and make it your own. Just, just share it. I didn't make it up. <laughs> I was like, well, you awesome. know, it's like, how long has, you know, kettlebells, Indian clubs, God has been around for. And that's what like Paul and I were talking about, about the content when he was doing, talking about his manual. It's like, you know, like you, you don't, nobody single-handedly owns this modality. So when people get super duper possessive, it doesn't make sense because the reason you're out there teaching courses or having workshops and certifications is to what? Pass on knowledge and have more people learning it and then they pass it on. That's the whole point. <laughs> yeah, what gets lost though is, is, is it becomes an in like a, the perceived value, right? So mm. if you and I taught for two different groups, same exact curriculum and you know, uh, you could have your people would be like, this is the best thing ever. And my people could be like, this is the best thing ever. Even though we just know it's like, this is the same thing, more or less. Right. Slightly how you teach it is a little different than how I teach it. But the perceived value is those people, like they spent money on you and they trained for that. So they're going to take the, 
road that elevates that perceived value. So that must be the best because I've spent my money on it. I've worked hard to pass it. This must be the best one. That other thing can't be as good. That other style can't be as good, right? Like, so if it's, a, you know, because let's face it, unfortunately, this kettlebell war, uh, you know, the dogmatic practices of this stuff, it was even before the split of the RKC and SFG, like, uh, oh, totally. yes. GS, like that was sort of like the first big, uh, you know, probably divide in the United States as kettlebells were getting popular. Cause like, you know, I don't know the whole story about it. And I'm not really interested in digging into it, but you know, I know there were some similarities and some more open conversation between the two styles as the RKC was forming or as hard style was developing. And then I, I heard that there was a rift and suddenly there was like, you're either this or you're not. Um, and I will say I personally got blasted um, on social media by a, I don't think it was the actual higher up person in sport. I think yeah. it was probably somebody running their account, but a very big name went at me and went at hard style um, in a very disgusting, aggressive way. <laughs> and I'm like, it was the, See, that ain't cool. That it, is no, not-, not cool at all, but it was, I, I will openly admit it was very like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with confrontation. So it was actually quite fun for me. Yeah. Yeah. On the other side of this thing. Um, so it started there. And then when we had the split, of course, that was like, you know, uh, strong first in the RKC. Suddenly that was like another division. So now there's like these three tribes, two are very similar. One is a little different. We're all just trying to get strong and get healthy. We have slightly different methods of getting there. But the bigger thing is, is we have more different sales tactics and we get lost in all of that shit as opposed to just like, yep. let's all have fun <laughs> getting strong with kettlebells. No, it's really interesting that you said that because when I first started doing kettlebell sport and then all of a sudden, you know, like people would send me kettlebell videos of some of the top sport athletes and be like, what is this person doing? Like, why are they swinging wrong? And I'm like, oh shit. Like, first of all, like you just sent me a well-known name in sport, like critiquing them saying they're doing something wrong. You don't know that that's GS style. Like, It was interesting. So it's like, you know, all that I found myself getting bombarded with questions sort of on both ends because I've always said, and I will always be a hybrid because of what you and I spoke about earlier. I love mixing modalities because they complement one another. Like, you know, I, I've been adding original strength resets into when I did these mini mace workshops. Like, I've been adding stick mobility to, you know, open up the lateral lines, you know, and that's a mm-hmm. different type of modality. So it, it was just with GS, it, it's interesting because, you know, I think it was one of my first posts that I ever put up and I was brand new to sport and people like a couple of people were like, what are you doing? Why are you doing sport? I'm like, well, because my friend, I, my, the, my friend who uh, owns the company, Yuri, that he owns the place that you came to this past weekend, Walton Sports and Fitness. When my son was four months old, he came over and he's like, Kelly, I'm going to start a kettlebell competition company. Could you help me translate, you know, Russian to English? Now, nine years later, it's a worldwide company. That's you awesome. Know? And that was, yeah. And so, you know, he tried to convince me to get on the platform for years. And I finally was like, you know what? I'm going to get out of my comfort zone and I'm going to try sport. I'm always going to do it recreationally. I'm just doing it for fun. And also because I freaking love the people and I get to go to the Arnold. I get to do all these fun things, but it also is as a, you know, as a career, it's great to keep your mind open and to try different modalities. It doesn't necessarily mean that 
it's for you. You might, you might try GS and say, you know, I, I want to go back to my heart style. There's nothing wrong with that. And then people start just making it like a right or a wrong when, you know, we should all just keep an open mind and see, you know, the benefit from other sides or the other story first before we harp on it so much. Yeah, it, it's for me, you know, I'll, I'll be openly honest. Like I was very interested in sport and this thing sort of threw me off of it. Mm-hmm. And on Facebook. Um, but I, I have nothing against it. Like I'm still interested. It's just a different style. Um, right. Kind of semantics. And again, like waving flags. Right. And as a kettlebell fan, you know, it's how I got, it's how I took juggling. I was like, you know, I didn't think I was going to use juggling for everything. It just seemed like it was going to be fun. Now I found it to be highly beneficial, which surprised me, but I was just like, I'm a kettlebell nerd. I like kettlebells. Why, why wouldn't I try to me too? <laughs> but we get so caught up in our own like accomplishment or what people value, you know, and, and that's a, that's a tough one. And I don't want to be judgmental on people on it, but it, but it's, uh, you know, sometimes I think we, as trainers or as enthusiasts, and, and, and I've done this mm-hmm. in the past, it, it's we get caught up, we create our own self-worth or we try to get by imp- our own feelings of potential imposter syndrome by touting initials on an accomplishment. Uh, and, and uh, you know, so when, when somebody, folks, this isn't a judgment, but this is maybe just like a critical thinking moment, right? But not a judgment at all. But, right. uh, you know, there was a little while when I would have like Stephen Holliner, uh, RKC as say my Facebook name right? Mm-hmm. Does that RKC really define my entire life that, to the level that that should be on my, 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 literally my name, right? Like, does that make no. sense? And, and I love it, you know, and, I, and, and, you know, this was before I teach for them, but even now that I, you know, I've been a master instructor for four years, I, 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 it's not on there. I'm very proud of the RKC. I friggin' love and am so honored to get to teach for them. Um, it's, it's one of the most pleasant surprises of my life. And they're super supportive, but it's, but it's, I'm not just an RKC coach. And I'm certainly on a social media, like if you have a business page, maybe, but I got to be honest too. Like if you have your business page and, and, and the main thing you put on those initials, it's not a doctorate. Um, your clients don't know what that is at first and they really shouldn't need to, in my opinion. Uh, it's just something to consider. So I, I think that's like kind of what we were talking about, like, you know, these walls, these boundaries are not opening up to stuff. It's because we overvalue potentially silly things because they, 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 they were, they were hard earned, but we, I shouldn't say silly. Right. We, we overemphasize that. Does that make sense? Well, I, and, and folks, no, if you have sense. initials at the end of your thing, like rock on, I, I don't want you to judge it, but like, I got to tell you, if you were going to train my mom, um, those initials alone aren't enough. And Chris Cooper <laughs> trains my mom and he does not have initials at the end of his name there. I just know he's a great coach from his output. And uh, well, I think, go, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. no I, I think, I think there's like, you know, um, I say I never, my, my thing throughout my career is I never really cared about any initials and that's why I've always kind of gravitated to. And I think about like the time, the beginning of like when Pav, uh, uh, Pavel was coming out and then Anthony Delugio, then, you know, Steve Cotter, Steve Maxwell, you know, I've always kind of been, me personally, I've gravitated towards the individual versus the company. And that's why, like, I, you know, like, or I like the smaller companies, you know, like Original Strength. When Stick Mobility first came out, 
They didn't even have sticks out for people, you know, to, to purchase yet. But I was like, I want that. And I then, you know, then I got certified now and I'm assistant coach. That's another small company. Then Art of Functional Movement with Paul Gray and Pavel, I hosted them for the first ever American certification, bringing Paul Walwinski here, bringing Kashi Assad here. You know, like, I think sometimes that, you know, then you have these larger companies like RKC or, you know, uh, you know, I like Agatsu also. I think they're fantastic, you know, but it's like there's also a lot of value from learning from people who live that crap and they're not necessarily attached to a larger corporation. You know, so like I've never, like it for me personally, I like a combination of both where you have, you know, maybe a well-known company, but then you seek out sort of information or knowledge from an individual too. There, there's a lot of value in both. Yeah, I, I completely. In my, in my opinion, I, I completely agree. Yeah, I, I know. For me, it was never about like I, you know. Uh, so I came into this and to, I found kettlebells in 2010 as an enthusiast, and you know, sandbags and TRX. And, and for me, I, I didn't know any of the background of any of this stuff. But I just started. Yeah. Googling, like who's sandbags? Google it. Oh, ultimate sandbags. Josh Hankett. When's Josh Hankin coming into town? It was never about like DVRT or at the time it was Lyft. It was about learning from Josh. And that's my, where my first handbags are from too. But Anthony Delugia was carrying his originals. Yeah. So, so that's so where I got mine in 2008. They've changed a lot since then. <laughs> They're yeah. So much better I now. know. Josh sent me them. I was so, he, that was so nice of him. He reached out, I was using his originals on my Instagram account and he immediately sent me uh, two sandbags. And I was like, thank you, Josh. He's like, I can't believe you're still rocking my originals. And I'm like, oh, they're going strong. I still <laughs> so have he's a really one. nice guy. Yeah, he's, they're awesome. Him and, him and his wife, Jess, the, AKA the boss, they're, they're fantastic. And it's, it's again, like-minded, you know, like-minded people and really good people. So like, you know, when people are like, how do you teach for three groups? Like, you know what? They're all great people. Like I get along with them all. Um, no one's trying to pull anything over me and I can stand by them because I see the work, you know, I see the results, I should say in my own training and in the people that I train. Um, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's, let's talk about sure. this. GS. We, we should have clarified this earlier for, for, for listeners that aren't aware of what GS is. It's uh, Giravoy sport. It's a different style of kettlebell training. It's a sport style of kettlebell training and it is competition based, although you don't necessarily have to train it just to compete. If you had to right. give somebody like, um, if we view the RKC as a hard style kettlebell um, swing, which is probably the one, if you're following this podcast, you're super familiar with. What would you say would be the big difference between, say, like the RKC style, hard style, and GS style? Well, in, in, in hard style, you kind of want to create tension and exert as much energy as, as possible, whereas in sports style, you want to conserve energy. So, you know, where you're, you, if you're going on stage for, a competition, you're going up for 10 minutes. So you have to last 10 minutes with that kettlebell, but now marathons are becoming popular. There's a half hour marathon and my friend Judy just did two hours with a kettlebell straight, straight. So you have to conserve your, yes, she's, she was, Judy was at the, uh, Walwinski workshop this past weekend. I don't know if you met her, but she is, Oh my God, she is incredible to watch as a sport athlete. Oh my gosh, she's so Judy, good. If I met you and I'm forgetting it, I apologize in advance. Oh, she yeah, she's really sweet. 
But so with four style, the breathing is completely different because when I, I nearly passed out when I was trying GS style because I was like hard styling and like fading like crazy. So it's more of like a really relaxed like swing. And, you know, the, the technique is to conserve energy and to make that belt. You don't want to tense your body up. So like when you're in the locked out overhead, you're kind of relaxed that your quads, you want to kind of keep them relaxed too. Cause you don't want to tire out your legs. So I do long cycle. I got into sport doing double long cycle because I like it must be a Libra thing. Fellow Libra, because I I didn't want to be off balance. One bell felt so freaking weird, but I honestly should have started with one bell. But I did because of Yuri being my close, like a brother. I did five competitions in like seven months, like an idiot. Explain to somebody what a a competition would be like, because they're gnarly. Well, I mean, as Yuri describes it, like after a while, you're bored as hell because you're watching like people lift for 10 minutes straight. But when you're on the platform, you literally kind of like zen out. But I have to say, so like you you have a couple of lifts. So you have the biathlon where you're going to jerk and snatch. And then you have your long cycle, obviously clean uh, jerk and uh, swing clean jerk. And then you have just jerks and then you have your snatch. So, um, when I, I now after this competition in October, that'll be my eighth competition. I may switch over to snatch just to try it, but Mm -hmm. long cycle to me is a little bit more comfortable. And I've only been doing it for two years and I still feel like I'm really new. But when we were out at the Arnold, this last competition, uh, in March, this past year was one of the best sport moments I've ever witnessed in my entire life (laughs) one of the gentlemen from uh europe he did long cycle with double 32s which was his actual body weight for 10 minutes and i had never seen anything like that he he was dying and he was not putting those bells down and he's looking over his coach and his coach would cue him and he would jerk you know, go into the swing, go into that rack position. And I, I've never seen anything like it. It was insane. So he was literally lasting 10 minutes with his own body weight with two kettlebells. That, I never, it, it was incredible. That is gnarly. Well, it that, is gnarly. How do you, so, so playing devil's advocate for some of the people that are going to be like, oh, that's crazy and it can't be good for you, right? Because like, you know, I, I know people get so caught up on that tension from the hard style front of being like, you know, oh, the top of your because plank. If you're, you're, you know, so the, like, you know, your rack position in sport, if you're doing a long cycle, your rack position is on your hips. So, you know, like versus obviously with hard style, we know our rack position is up higher. Yeah. And then we have the rack in our hips because your hips actually drive the belt. Yes. So you have like that first dip, then you have the second dip and the bells are up overhead then you stand up. So, you know, people always worry about the lumbar spine or the rounding in the Mm T-spine, but that's actually where you sort of keep the pressure of the bells out of the spine, that they're on the hips. I I love that cleared that up. That's a, that's a big point. Cause I think that's like, if you, if you would go back and if we went into Facebook photo land, that would be the big thing where people would be like, you know, "Eh -eh." 
people people freak out, but you know, like now, you, like if you go over to like uh, Europe, where kettlebell sport has been around forever, like you know, they think we're crazy because we're questioning that that position. But there's a, you know, there's a lot of like science behind it and a reason why it's it's that position exists because there's no way that you could hard style for ten minutes like that. <laughs> you someone, die. Someone try it. <laughs> Somebody would try it. But you know, like it, it, it's sort of what you were talking about with like with, earlier that we talked about, about about the goddess swinging in the Indian clubs. There's like a rich history with kettlebells that go beyond just hard style, you know? Yeah. And so well, that gets forgotten. And then in the States, like, you know, Kim Fox is an amazing athlete. So is uh, Kay Britt. I can't remember Britt's last name, but she's out in California. She has written, uh, her and Kim have written amazing articles about the rack position in sport or just sport technique and why, that technique exists in the first place in the realm of sport. It's brilliantly written. I like, but you know, for myself, like I said, I'm still in the learning stages. I feel like, you know, my body tends to still go into hard style, but this eighth training cycle around, I'm starting to feel more comfortable with it, but um, it's always going to be something I do recreationally. I'm not going to be a serious kettlebell sport athlete. Yeah. It's interesting. I think the, the styles that they, they, uh, they, they overlap. Like it's hard. Like how you say, you, you know, the, the hard style starts to show up in your GS, uh, you know, when I oh, teach, guys, you, you can always tell when someone's got more of a GS background and they're, you know, they're trying to do hard style. It, it goes in the reverse order too, where you start to see a little bit more of a scoopy or swing or something or a more relaxed. Well, yeah. Because there's a reason for that scoop though. So like I've been fortunate to get trained by Ivan Denisov and I've spent like a 12 hours going back and forth to Ohio with him and uh, Yuri in the car. And like, you know, it, it, he, the, you, you, that backswing that you're talking about when they start to do the scoop, mm-hmm. that like that helps to drive that bell up so that you're using less energy yeah. like you do when you're doing your hard style swing. So I I couldn't even reprogram my swing forever. I was not comprehending how to GS swing, and I'm still trying to learn that. Yeah, it is hard to unlearn. It, it, even in kettlebell juggling, the, the swing's a bit different. You know, like um, Gus had posted a video, and some someone that a friend of mine commented that that does that doesn't look like a hard style swing, and the answer is like it's not. <laughs> right. There's other ways to swing a kettlebell. Well, just like there's other ways to squat, right? It's the same thing with like squatting. You can't squat a certain way. Well, you could squat many ways. Yeah. You know, on the bright side though, I think I will say this is I do think a lot of this stuff is changing and I, and I see, I see a a positive note happening amongst the more uh, progressive coaches and progressive. I don't mean like, you know, like a, like a cool kids club or anything. I just mean like uh, people like Kelly and I, people like Ben Marvin that are just like, following out the stuff that we think is cool, following out the stuff that's cool that also gets results and like letting the other stuff go to the sides um, and just going in being truly open-minded. Cause I think there's like an, uh, sometimes there's a thing of like, yeah, I'm open-minded until it's not what I believe in. Um, right. You know, you create a definition before you even know about what it is or a boundary. So, you know, I, I do think that's cool. And I think your course, there's a lot of different backgrounds there. And I think that was awesome. One of the cool things that you see in original strength is since it's not like a kettlebell aligned thing, 
you know, you get people from everywhere, including PTs and folks that just want to train. And, you know, even in the RKC land and, and all that stuff, everyone's just, you know, pe- people tend to think like we don't have friends on the other sides. Like guys, there are no sides. There, there's groups that people teach and learn from. It's not, it's, it's not a side. It's, it's, a, it's, I it's agree like, with you. you. You don't, you don't, does anybody like wage war on 7-Eleven versus like, a, you know, two corner, let's say even remove 7-Eleven, two corner bodegas. You don't be like, I own because <laughs> that other bodega is <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, so, but I do think that's breaking down and it was one of the nice switches uh, of, you know, seeing the RKC, um, you know, sort of open up and, and, you know, be a little bit less intimidating because when I went through, it was intimidating as fuck and I'm, I'm not a fan of that. Um, although I loved it, I wouldn't go through it now if it was the same way. Um, and, you know, moving forward, it's just, you know, it's great opportunities. It's one of the cool things is getting to teach with these groups is so somebody will go through like an RKC and then they'll show up at OS and DVRT or any version of that, you know, and seeing friends and meeting people through strength faction. Um, you know, we have all these different backgrounds and guess what? We all get along. We're all trying to help each other. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's just like humans have more in common than, you know, we don't, but it's always like religion and politics that destroys people's relationships. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's kind of like the same thing in fitness. People get, sometimes they get too caught up on, you know, like, okay, it's going to be this style or it's going to be this, or it's going to be that company or it's going to be that. Then they miss the point of like, why, like what, what the main purpose is. Yeah. And you know what the main purpose is, trainer folks? It's to make people healthier. <laughs> Just exactly. don't lose sight of it. It's like, don't lose sight of it. Um, I know when I was going through the, the decision, like I was doing a lot of assisting work for Strong First, and I think I was on a pretty solid track for them. Uh, and then I had this amazing opportunity for the RKC. And I, you know, I was torn for it for, for a bit. Um, and, and one of the things that I came you know, to mind is, like, A, I want to teach. This is going to let me teach. And B, there was none of the military image, you know, at least not, I wasn't going to have to, you know, put up, any right. potentially feel like I had to put up a, a false front, not saying that that was going to be thrust upon me. I need the group, but it was just like, I want to teach. I want to be myself and I want to teach. And I remember having this moment. I think I might've been talking with Ari again, where I'm like, you know what? We were having like lunch or coffee or something. And I'm like, nobody in this room cares about our initials. They care about our results. Right. You know what I mean? And, and that was like a very eye opening thing. But it's also you, though, you personally. Well, you know, that's, like, the, I, that's it, the thing, right? It, it's not it's my initial. It's my how I convey whatever I know and the results they receive. And right, but it, like something with the way you teach or the way you approach and your personality resonates with someone. Yeah. You know, like that, that, that gravitates to, that means more to them than your RKC. It's you, that is the the bottom line you and your knowledge but it's also just you personally and by you we mean all of you listening <laughs> that was you that, oh, you everyone you everybody uh no but seriously folks like uh it, it, it's really cool to work hard for certain, earn it, own it. I don't know why I keep bringing this back up for this one. This is a good one because I, I think it, it, it's always fun when we're, we're not talking with somebody uh, on either side of the fence. Yeah. And, and it's just, uh, folks, like, you know, we're all friends. We're all trying to help people. We're all trying to make some money. We're all trying to survive. We're all trying to find that work-life balance. We're all in this together. Um, let's start being more positive and not critiquing 
um, stuff on Kelly's photos. Stop telling me to wear a bike helmet if there's not a bike helmet in the picture. If you see me doing a video in a pool without a helmet <laughs> on, then yes, you can tell me to put my helmet on, okay? Um, but, like, also, like, let's just try to be better at each other. You know, um, you had mentioned that you had a friend who had some, you know, bad comments. Let's face it, like, in, in very recent times right now, there's been a whole lot of shit uh, coming out about <laughs> some higher-ups, one in particular, making life very difficult for women. And, uh, folks, let's just all be better. And I don't mean that to make light yeah. of stuff. Let's just all be better because uh, we should because it's a decent human thing to do I'm not saying you have to be perfect but let's all just try to be better uh women do you you do have it harder in, in in this industry and probably in every industry um and that sucks i find uh, though i feel like i you know it's interesting because i'm not conventional i'm not in the conventional fitness world and i you know all of my mentors have been men which i find you know even i work in conventional fitness you know, I live in one, you know, Westport, Connecticut. I, well, I live in Southport, but I work in Westport. It's Fairfield County, you know, but I've never really fit into the, the typical mold. Yeah. And I, I, I feel, though, that I'm only getting better with age, and I say that all the time. And, you know, the way I present myself, I, it's, you know, I, I think it's tougher on women, but then at the same time, I've never felt better or more comfortable with where I'm going. And I, I you know, it, it depends on what your selling point is. My selling point isn't to look like a certain way because I'm, I'm focused on my skill base. Yeah. You know, like not to say, you know, so it's like, it depends on where your focus is. My, I'm not, there's no booty shots on my page. I don't understand why I have the women are twerking every time in their photos, but that's their choice. That's their prerogative to present their knowledge that way. That's, you know, that's fine. It's, and, it's, you know, I just choose to do it differently. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, it seems to be happening more on the, the coach Rudy podcast, Instagram page um, where, you know, I'll get fitness inspiration starts following you. Right. And it's like, before yeah. I even look, look what that is, I know what it is. It's all booty shots. And it's, I think that's like one of the harder things. It's like, I don't know how many like legit trainers are even putting them out versus people that work out uh, or are really great at photo touching. Uh, you know, they're, they're mm -hmm. picks to put it out, but it's like, you have to think about it. Like, is that, what are you putting out there? And if you want to be sexy and like, that's the thing you're putting out, like, I'm like, I'm the, the sexy workout woman. Like, that's great. Same thing for dudes. If yeah. you're like, uh, you know, I'm the, I'm the sexy workout dude, uh, go for it. But you have to think, like, are you doing it because that's what you want to be? Or are you doing it to make an angle? And is there a greater impact on it? Because quite frankly, most of these, like, fitness inspiration things are wank material, uh, for lack of a better phrase. They're just showing right. sexy stuff that, like, you can sort of, like, PG wank. And I firmly believe that it's just because there is no inspiration in it. There's zero inspiration in it. Nobody's looking at those pictures well, like, oh, no. You know, I, I get, my, my female clients will ask me, you know, like, do you get inspired by all like that, you know, I guess that hashtag fitbo stuff. And, and I said, no, like what I, I, like, listen, we're all getting older. None of us are getting younger. Each day we're getting older. When I, like the 20 year olds, so they're talented or whatever, you know, and they're beautiful. I don't get motivated by that. I look at my direct peers and I look at the women that are older than me because that's where I'm heading. And I get inspired by Judy, by Val, by Lorna, all these women that I know who are slaying it. 
Yeah. And that motive, that personally motivates me. That's my, my driver is I know that I don't ever want to slow down and I want to get better with age and I want to continue to learn new modalities. That's why I'm picking up meals. You know, like I want to not, I don't want to stop learning or evolving in my career. And I, I want to always, you know, be capable in, in, in some aspect. I know as I get older, things might change, but I feel better now than I ever have. I feel like I'm just touching the surface of what I'm capable of. And, you know, I'll be 39 next month, which is still young. But, you know, yeah. women like my age are thinking like, oh, we're, you know, I'm like, girl, chill the fuck out. We're just getting started. What are you talking about? I mean, I, like, just, I, I think I, I think I became a trainer at 39. Yeah, I'm pretty sure yes. I was 39, 39 when I became a trainer. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's also the, the as I'm getting older, um, you know, I will admit, like I had just like a, a, a odd couple of days and I did a shitload of emotional eating and I was getting down on myself. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm capable of doing a lot physically that most people aren't. And that's where like, you know, like this whole training thing goes, it's also what your focus going to be too. You know, is it, are you going to go on the fitness model side where that's a thing and it's all aesthetics? And look, if you're a, uh, an actor or a performer, like I get it, like, that is right. your paycheck. That is different. Like there's always a circumstance, but you know, I'm less concerned with how I look. Uh, I, I want to look well, but you know, age is going yeah. um, to kick in points where I can't control that wrinkles wise and whatnot, but I can control my physical capabilities. And I that's know. Really your face is pretty smooth there. <laughs> it is. It's my skull. You know, it's funny. Uh, there's a picture of folks. If you go on my, my, my personal Instagram page, there's a picture of my high school yearbook photo with me with my mullet. Do you look exactly the same? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's like my, what was great is about both of my kids, when I showed them the picture, they're like, you look exactly the same except for the hair and the mustache because I have a mustache right now. And I was just go like, dad. see, see. Um, but I think that is the thing. And I think Paul's like a great example of that. That guy is so strong and he's <laughs> said about a year and a half out of battling cancer and, uh, in his sixties and he he's was going to be 69 soon. It's freaking crazy. And folks, like he was swinging around. Like, I don't know how heavy his, it, it, it was, it was somewhere in like the low 20 pound mace, but effortlessly while talking, <laughs> you know what I mean? It wasn't even no, like, like he, I'm telling you, Steve, he, I spent six days with him and I'm so grateful for every moment. And he was running freaking circles around me. It's because like, you know, it's like we were talking about it, you know, not only kind of coming through, you know, he still has cancer. It's just being treated. And that gives you alone, like a different perspective on living every day and what he's been through. But just like the years of training and the mental gymnastics from Indian clubs that, you know, that like that stimulation, he is sharp as a whip and he's not slowing down anytime soon. And that's what like just spending time with him and learning from him. I am still so grateful. I can't even tell you. It was just, it's, it's, that's what it's about. Because I said to him, you know, like, I've always had male mentors and now I'm finding myself in a position where I'm having the opportunity to go down to original strength at the end of this month. Cause I'm a part of the women's movement collaborative. Yeah. So I'll be at the Institute with Danny and Ryan Pitts made the maces for me. And I teach the way I introduce the women to mace on Sunday. Like that is so, that makes me feel so fulfilled because like it's, you know, I've been doing this for 16 years and it's like this natural process of where, you know, you start, if you decide to, you could start educating your peers. And it's, it's 
thrilling. It's, 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 you know, it just makes me so happy. And to have Paul as a mentor and countless others as friends and mentors, it just is, it's what it's about. I love it. Yeah. And I'll say this is Kelly and I literally just met officially on Saturday. We had some back and forth Facebooks. We'd heard of each other, but like we literally just met. And I'll just say like, you give off a great energy. Like you just do. And that that's, um, you know, not everybody has that. And I think, you know, it's, it makes everything, it adds validity to what you do. Uh, and, and, and also just like in terms of being a teacher or presenter, like that is like, it, it's a great head start to have that. Um, and then to have your experience to back it up, it's just fucking awesome. Um, hey, I appreciate we, that. Thank you. We've been talking for a while, so we're going to start to wrap oh this up. Oh my God, I have to pick up my son from school. I'm looking yeah. at the class. Oh my God. I'm yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're going to wrap this up quickly. Where can people find you? Okay. Well, obviously, uh, Instagram is kelsbells88. Uh, I do have a website that I barely use just because I can only handle so much technology. I probably should use it more, but it's, uh, <laughs> K- oh my God, I'm telling you, I need like a clone. Um, uh, K- kmmoves.com. And then obviously on Facebook as Kelly Manzoni. Oh, I said your name wrong. I said Manzone, Manzoni. Oh no, no. Everybody does that. Everybody yeah, calls you, me Manzone. It's Manzoni. I, you should, yeah. Correct me Nick. Well, I won't make the mistake again. Cause as a, as a Hollander. No, no, no. Don't even sweat it. Um, Hey Kelly, can you tell the listeners to die mighty? Die mighty? Yeah. Just tell them, say die mighty. Die mighty. Never give up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, folks, listeners, I hope you got a lot out of this one. I, I really enjoyed it. I'm actually like inspired. I'm going to go, uh, go to go lift now myself, uh, not pick myself up. I'm actually going to go train. Um, <laughs> thank you for coming on the show. We are going to have Paul on the show. We have, I have to send him an email. traveling back today. We were chatting at the end of the, at the end of the workshop. So Paul will be on the show when the dust settles from travel for him. Uh, speaking of Indian club land, uh, I was speaking with Dr. Ed Thomas, uh, yesterday and he's going to be coming on the show. So we're going to end up with like a, you're, you're going to hear a lot more of this realm of training and physical culture history and, and all of that wonderful stuff for some really cool people. So, uh, Kelly's sort of kicking that off, although, you know, man, if we look at Ben's podcast and James Nidlinger's, like, folks, like, you know this stuff is sort of deep in the show. So this is great. So, Kelly, thank you so much for taking the time. Go get your kid. And uh, listeners, (laughs) you'll listen to us next time. Take it easy. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by Steve Coach Fury Holliner for Fury Industries, LLC. Music provided by The FTW. Visit the ftw.nyc for band, tour, music, and merch info. Artwork created by Glenn Gurrieta. Visit glengurrieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or follow him on Instagram at glengurrieta. Voiceover by Laura Palmer.